Coming up on this week's episode of Destination Linux, we interview the developer of Super Productivity, the app that we've been talking about here on Destination Linux the past few weeks. The DL Triforce fills in new occurrences that have happened since the ARM acquisition. Yeah, that's right. You probably heard about it, but you haven't heard what's happened since. We cover XFCE's upcoming 4.16 release. We'll get you prepped for a spooky Halloween in our gaming section. And of course, our popular tip, tricks, and software picks, all that and so much more coming up right now on Destination Linux. Welcome to episode 192. You're tuned to the number one video-centric Linux podcast on the planet. Destination Linux is your source for great discussions on Linux and all things open source. My name's Noah. I'm delighted to be with you today. With me is the Vought International's worst nightmare, Ryan and Michael. Let's find out what they're up to. Ryan, what are you up to and what does that intro mean? Yeah. Well, that intro is from the show The Boys, which is an Amazon Prime oh. show that's so awesome. So uh, if you don't get that reference, then you need to go back and watch that show. But it is made for adults. Don't let your kids watch it with you. It's quite violent. So, uh, but check that out. In any case, what I've been up to this week, well, I have a new video coming out on the mini Titan. It's just waiting on Michael to make a thumbnail. I gave him at least an hour notice before this yeah, show, before this the show, video was right. done uh, to, to do that. So it's waiting on the Plenty thumbnail. Of time. Yeah, exactly. He Lacker. It's, it's not but, that I'm prepping for the show or anything. <laughs> No, it's not important. The point is, as soon as Michael's done with that thumbnail, we're going to have benchmarks on this machine. Also talk about some issues that I came across with the machine during the benchmarking test in the video that I had to overcome, uh, which will be really interesting. And overall, just falling in love with this mini ITX build. But I also wanted to give a shout out to the project, the QA platform that we're working on with the Destination Linux community just the sheer amount of volunteers and people getting involved in this project expands week over week. And the talent here, ranging from people who've never worked on an open source project before to people, this is their full-time career and in big, massive companies. They have tons of experience in this arena coming together to build this QA platform to hopefully benefit Linux overall and make hardware more compatible with Linux has been just it's been jaw-dropping. It's been amazing. And I'm just so proud of our community and cannot thank them enough for coming together and rallying around this issue, which they're probably just sick of me going on rants about. So thank you for fixing it because <laughs> I won't have anything to rant about. Well, thank you for ranting about it and bringing it to our attention. Michael, what usefulness have you been to the community this week? Well, Can you top that I, story? I helped, yeah, yeah, I, Michael. I, I helped with that too. So it's not just him. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Actually, not only that, and you also you you also were submitting issues to super productivity. Right? That's true, exactly. What I did this week was actually uh, it's, it's kind of like a form of uh, torturing yourself, and that is cable management. And uh, so I did. Mm. So I've been doing zip ties. You use zip ties? I did. Yeah. I did not use zip ties. I I got oh. these like special like uh, adhesive ties that are like zip ties, but they're like easier to hook and you know, like dis like disconnect Gotta and everything. Use Velcro, zip ties were too expensive. So no, they're, they're, it's the, the mm. you'll see. I'm making a he video. Pulled he pulled threads out of his shirt. CVS. He pulled I'm, threads from his shirt and then he tied those. I'm making I'm making a video to demonstrate what I did because it's a, I think it is a unique unique style of doing uh, uh, cable management because I have a sit stand desk. 
And those are notoriously right. difficult to do cable management with, especially. That's what he uses sure. the stool for that never moves. Well, the stool still lets him sit, but I, I'm, I'm starting to understand what he's saying. So you have to have enough slag in the cables that the desk can go up and down, right. but it basically has to be like one umbilical, except for the things that are on the desk. That yeah, I do want to see right. this. When does this video come out? Uh, this sometime this week. I haven't. I don't really. Is haven't finished working on it because I need to make uh, Ryan's thumbnail before, of course, because <laughs> that's the that's the sure. the, the priorities. Uh, but yeah. I'm making the, the it'll be coming out soon. And I am so excited because like the, the way it was before, which I did take a picture of it, like it was, it's just so much better. It's, it's fantastic. I came up with a new mechanism of actually, I'm not going to explain it here. It's in the video, but instead of having like a, a cable like tray underneath it or whatever, I created a mm-hmm. cable hammock. And I think that is just something people are going to be interested in what that means. Yeah, he's it's patent pending. No, (laughs) yeah, it's. I think IKEA ships cable hammocks with their with some of their desks. Well, they have the Signum, which is not a a little net thing, and there's like two little poles. You got Noah's uh, attention immediately when you said (laughs) cable management because those who haven't picked up and been watching the show for a long time, you actually have an OCD about cables hanging around. So I have an OCD about cables hanging and I have an OCD about cables that aren't labeled. Like all of the things that plug into the power distribution unit should have a little label on them that tell me what's that. So that in the middle of the night when I'm there at two in the morning and come in, they're like, the blah, blah, blah doesn't work. I can go back and just find blah, blah, blah and unplug and not have to go. But it's just one go to, no, that goes to switch. No, that one goes, that's someone's iPhone. Uh, uh, That one goes, you know, (laughs) Well, the, the, the funny thing is about it is I'm glad I mentioned it to you on the show because now I, I need to put labels on my courts. <laughs> right. And you don't even have to admit that you didn't have that. Exactly. Well, now you, now I, you just delayed the video a week from releasing because he's going to go label the, no, the I'll, I'll cables put, now. I'll just put them in like post-production. The labels just be hovering in, in visuals. That way, <laughs> there you go. That that'll way. work. Yeah. <laughs> that'll that'll, yeah. that'll that, speed it up. <laughs> so, but, Noah, what have you been up to this week? <laughs> so, Friday, I think it was Friday, Thursday, Friday night. I get a message from somebody and they send me a screen cap. And they're like, hey, I can't message this particular user on matrix.org. I thought, hmm, that's weird. So I try and message that user on matrix.org and I too can't message that user. I thought that's kind of weird. But, you know, it's software is one year out of beta. I mean, we'll see what happens. So Saturday, by Saturday, things are definitely, something is not right. Like the rooms are way quieter, can't quite figure out what's going on. Start looking into it and we find out that we are no longer federating. And so the further we dig, the further we're starting to find like how this stuff goes together. Okay. Now we find the problem and we fix it. And so not the end of the world, right? And federation comes back. Here's the question. Now we've been off the federation at this point for over 24 hours. Mind you, I've also not slept for 24 hours because I've been up trying to fix this. So three o'clock in the afternoon, I think on Saturday, we finally find the problem actually with one of our other servers. And so had nothing to do with matrix, but it had screwed up our, our DNS stuff. So we we go to fix we we go to get that fixed and I, and I, and before he put the change into place I thought now what's going to happen because the way that matrix works is there is a each server each home server where it has its users but those home servers each host a copy of any room that any of its users exist in so if anybody from matrix.org for example existed in the geek lab or noah's booth then noah's booth and the geek lab those rooms have copies on matrix the matrix.org server as well as any other but anybody else that has that chooses to host their own synapse Well, when we brought our Synapse back onto the Federation, all of those messages that the Federation had been having, because so let's say, for example, Destination Linux spun up their own server. And let's say Matrix.org and Destination Linux were still fine. They were still federating. No, everybody in those two servers would have been able to continue to talk in Noah's booth and Geek Lab, even though the address for that room exists on LinuxDelta.com. When Delta came back to the 
Federation, those two rooms said, here's what you missed. And just a big ball of web packet came. And we just, I watched for probably 45 <laughs> minutes as messages not only synced back down, but went back in order. And I'm like, man, this is so cool. Like, <laughs> If you're a government and you're like, ah, now we've got them offline. Oops. One person, one person in the middle of China or in the middle of uh, the, the, you know, the Sahara desert had, 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 had their own little synapse server and it copied the room. So now the entire chat log and all of the users that are on the Federation and anybody else that ever spins up a synapse uh, instance and connects back to that room is going to sync all of those messages and all of the user content and everything that exists. It is such a remarkable system that Amazing. it is shocking to me this has not taken off in a big way. So I'm, I, we're continuing to explore. I don't know that I at AltaSpeed Technologies have the resources to, to do a project like this justice, but what we're evaluating is the, the, the possibility of trying to make a more user approachable way to get onto Matrix. That is to say, can we have a site that you can just go to and without creating an account, without signing up for anything, without managing encryption keys, just can you go onto a site and click into a thing and exist into a chat? And could we also have the ability to have a stream window right next to that. So whatever the content is that that independent content creator is pushing out to that site also has an embedded chat. And now we solve the issue of, well, if you, if you, if you host your, your stream on Twitch, then all of those chat participants are there. And if it's on YouTube, you've got a community over there. And if it's all of those things come together because they all exist in one place. And I've just, I've re fallen in love with matrix all over again. And it's because something in matrix broke and I got to see what happens when you can literally torture this stuff and you can't break it. Like it will find a way to recover. I like how so, I like so in your mind, when people are saying, you know, what's the best platform here, you, mm -hmm. you think this is a better platform than discord and other platforms outside of the privacy aspect now, because of things <sighs> like the Federation, or is that what you're trying to solve is to say the piece we're missing is that easy sign up process. Once we have that, we win. Type of thing. Yeah, as as a platform, this the the, the the matrix the protocol is flawless. It's flawless. The way that it's designed to work is impeccable, but the implementation of it is fine for me because I understand what's happening. So I'll give you an example. Right, I open Element and I see the the little the little wheel of of spin, and, and I'm thinking to myself, I exist in. I don't know, four or 500 different chats. Some of those chats have 10, 15,000 people in it. And every one of those messages, which is its own little HTTP packet thing, right? It's own little thing package. All of those are sinking down to my little phone. Isn't that cool? Like I came back online and I'm getting like updates from what I missed in the world. Like every message, I get a copy of it. But my wife opens up her phone. She's like, why does this thing take so long to, to load? I open Telegram. It's instantaneously there. This thing doesn't, you know, so little things like, and they're, they're easy to fix is because Telegram doesn't download every single thing instantaneously. It's all being hosted on the server and your, your phone is just displaying it. Um, so, so there, there, it's it, the way that it's implemented is a little bit different. Now, the the roadmap for for Synapse and Matrix includes the Synapse server running right on the phone. So, eventually, this is not going to be an issue. The server will run in the background on the phone and continue to pull messages and keep that up to date. So, when you open the the front front end app, it'll just instantly display. Just haven't gotten there yet. Um, and 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 the other thing is the management of encryption keys. That nobody wants to. Most people don't want to do that. I want to do it. I like the fact that, and I got into a a, a, a a spirited debate with Martin Wimpers about this. I like the fact that it exposes the ability to export the end-to-end -end keys. I like that they're stored on the device. I like that there's an authentication process that has to occur uh, that you can easily 
copy the encryption or, or allow a different device to sync those encryption keys, or you can choose not to sync them yourself. I want all of those options there. I just wish by default it, I, I don't even know if I'd go as far as to say by default it didn't have encryption, but I wish there was some instance of Matrix that didn't have encryption on by default so that we could compare it in an apples to apples scenario to WhatsApp and Telegram and all these other things that have encryption, but the keys are all stored on the server, so it doesn't really count. Right. No, I think that's awesome. And just to remind people, if you want to check it out, you can check out Noah's booth out there. You have the Geek Lab and you also have Destination Linux out there to check out mm -hmm. on the matrix um, server. So we'll have links in the show notes as well. This is just that's awesome. the powerfulness of this software. Like I said, nice. once this takes off where it's a simple site that somebody can just show up and sign up on the, it, there's no going back because Absolutely. once, no matter what company hosts it, everybody can talk to each other and people yeah. like that. They don't want to sign into more than one thing. Well, I don't know if I'm using matrix because I just feel like it's a better product or because of your passion, but either way you've <laughs> right. made me a huge <laughs> fan of this project. Yeah. This episode of Destination Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most cloud-friendly cloud platform in the world. You can get started on DigitalOcean for free with a with $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. Now, what you have to understand about DigitalOcean is that they make managing and scaling apps easy. One of the reasons I was willing to take on the idea of hosting uh, a matrix instance is because it's so easy with DigitalOcean's intuitive API. I don't have to worry about where I'm going to store all the pictures and videos and stuff like that, that users are going to upload because DigitalOcean offers me multiple storage options. I don't have to worry about somebody breaking into the server or, or compromising it because they have integrated firewalls or when we have to scale the server up, it's no problem because DigitalOcean offers things like load balancing and scaling, those kinds of things. Now, we run our own Zenotic game server on a DigitalOcean yeah. droplet. So if you have any questions about how good DigitalOcean is, then here's what you do. You have to, you owe it to yourself. You tell your spouse, you tell your kids, you tell your boss, you need to spend about a week sitting at home searching the, the destination Linux community server on Zenotic. It's a free open source game. <laughs> and you, you, you take a week and evaluate all you want, all week long. And when you're done, then you go to do.co slash DLN. You sign up for your own server. Get off ours. No, no, no. Keep playing Xenotic. But you sign up for your own server and see what <laughs> you can do with DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean recently announced some new features uh, such as virtual private cloud uh, in all regions free of charge. And what this allows you to do is essentially create a... a, 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 a a, a small little mini version of a cloud inside of DigitalOcean's massive network. And that allows you to isolate parts of your workload away from the internet. Now you're going to get all of this, everything we just talked about, that's five bucks a month. No, even their least expensive server comes with all of this stuff. It's like, it's like, you know, chips are free, dinner extra. Th that that's this. It's you get all <laughs> of that it. stuff for free. And then the only thing that's extra is five bucks just to get the server. You can get started. You don't have to pay that five bucks because we're going to give you a hundred dollar credit and you can get that hundred dollar credit by going to do.co slash DLN and use that $100 credit for spinning up over a dozen droplets or even a monster sized droplets for two months. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with that free $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. If you don't do it, you're throwing a hundred dollars in the toilet. Don't throw a hundred dollars in the toilet. I always tell people don't throw a hundred dollars in the toilet. Yeah, it's a terrible idea. Yeah. So. Thanks again to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this week of Destination Linux and also for, you know, all the servers that that we have through them that make Destination Linux and Ask Noah and Linux Delta and basically everything else we do possible. It's true.
In the community feedback this week, Carl writes us to say, Hey guys, just wanted to chime in on a question that was mentioned in episode 190 of your show. If GNU slash Linux did not exist, what version of Windows or Mac OS would you use? Why not any of the BSD operating systems? They are open source, powerful, and function just like Linux does in the Unix-like fashion. I've been using Linux for about five years and BSD for one year, and I love them both. Thanks for making my commute to work entertaining, Carl. Uh, thank you for sending in the feedback, Carl. And I, I think this is an interesting uh, conversation. I'm curious what you, you you both think, and I'll I'll add my tidbit at the end. I get so many requests to do 30 days of BSD. After I did the sure. 30 days of Linux, which Absolutely. is how I even got on the map in the Linux world, uh, there have been BSD people knocking on the door saying, we want you to do the same thing with BSD. Um, I have played with BSD in the background very, very limited amount of time. The, the big thing for me that no one's been able to really say is available in BSD is I my channel and everything I do is focused on the latest and greatest hardware. Linux has enough issues with working on the latest and greatest hardware, and I hear BSD is worse. I don't know if that's true because, again, I haven't played with it, but that's what personally has always kept me from moving forward is that knowledge that you're not going to really be able to run a variety. Now, maybe things like AMD's drivers and stuff all work perfectly. And I'm a huge fan of AMD, but you know, I change out equipment constantly in video, mm -hmm. all of this stuff. And Steam is a big part. People want to see games running on this latest equipment. I understand you can get Steam working, but it's a huge process. And so I almost feel like in my mind, and I could be wrong here, I'm open to somebody changing it, that I'm going back to Linux six years ago where Linux was six years ago That's prior right. to Steam getting involved prior to yep. all the hardware enablement stacks prior to all this stuff to go to BSD and that's too much of an ask for my workload and what I do here's the truth Ryan what BSD does they do well there when they first and when TrueNAS announced that they were going to have a, a, a Linux part to it uh, or split to it I was originally kind of hesitant because the truth is FreeNAS works. I could care less what the kernel is under NAS. there. As long as, yeah, right. It works. So in those circumstances, I think BSD is better than Linux because BSD hasn't been used longer than Linux in those cases. However, most of the stuff, and this is particularly true on desktop Linux, most of the stuff that works on BSD works because of the work that has been done on Linux that's then been backported or hacked into BSD. It's not that it works on its own. It's there's some sort of transition layer that allows that software to work. So you're right. You're backing up like six, seven years and saying, well, now, what software, what hardware, what whatever works. There's a couple of exceptions to that. And the BSD people are out there going to say, well, as far as networking goes, the, the BSD has better wireless networking support that yes it does but on the whole if you take a, a bsd distro chances are you're going to have less of an opportunity to get the kind of hardware and software that you would have on a modern linux distro yeah and so to just kind of add to that real quick because you brought up an interesting point i wasn't even thinking about i have a free nas server i tried switching to these other alternatives that are uh, more traditional linux and yeah, i did not like kind of them stuff. i didn't like them and i went mm -hmm. right back to it so free nas but it's an older server they yep. they you know it's a server and it's not a desktop and That's what right. i need on it is for backup storage maybe running media of um server plex server whatever on it i don't need any of the stuff i would need on a desktop so from that purpose love free nas and what it represents everything else i i, I don't see it for a desktop 
I, I personally think that there are certain things that BSD is great at, and also the ZSH, ZSH or ZFS support is a great thing. Yeah. It works really well on BSD. But as Noah said, my entire thing is like the entire package has to be that piece where if without the whole package of the usability and that sort of stuff, like we're still working on Linux having that too, to be admittedly. So uh, BSD is, in my opinion, way far, far behind Linux in that that aspect. And that's why I wouldn't be able to use it as a daily driver. Play with it, sure. I've used it before. And also in the chat, Jacob made a good point about uh, PFSense. PFSense is another one of those. Yeah. There's, there's, that is another one of those uh, fantastic BSD-based things. Uh, but in terms of like appliance-based solutions, there's a lot of great BSD value. But in terms of like the overall like desktop approach, Linux is is where I. Now, I, I will tell you though, if, if Linux goes down a route that I think we're at this fork that we could possibly go down, where we just pile in all this proprietary stuff and forget about the foundation of open source. Well, heck, I may be looking very deeply at BSD and putting up with that stuff because to me, that philosophy of open source privacy, namely, and not having proprietary stuff layered on top of and taking over an operating system is the most important part of Linux to me. So in that case, I would probably bite the bullet and use BSD. Let, let, let me ask you this. Does the licensing play an effect for you at all? Does it come into effect? Does, does the licensing me, play yes. into it from the standpoint that that no matter there's no guarantee that any development that is made on bsd will actually be contributed back there's nothing to stop anybody from taking bsd and just going oh that works well collect proprietary license ship it screw you yes does it bother you ryan because it bothers me but i'm curious i mean that's how apple came around as i understand right was kind of taking portions of this and making it proprietary and, and going their own route so i mean yeah it bothers me from from that aspect but these are things that could be fixed, I think, if it became as popular on the desktop as Linux is today. And I think the point that it could become that popular is at the point that Linux goes down the road where we just accept every proprietary piece of crap that Microsoft throws out there and stick it on our system. And it becomes this tool of just uh, the same thing. Why don't I just boot Windows? Because all my metadata is going out through the apps instead of the operating system. But the same problem exists. So in that case, you know, I would be, uh, I think me and a lot of other people who are hardcore open source privacy enthusiasts would be sure. looking for alternatives. Let's not go back into that topic we did a couple episodes ago in the terms of proprietary aspects. The difference is, is that I think the ideology of this license is very strong and I doubt they would change it because essentially the GPL has a, I think the GPL doesn't go far enough, but they, they do go farther than the BSD license where the BSD license allows you to do Anything you want doesn't matter, and if that in me, if that includes uh, closing the source, you can totally do that too. And I think that is one of the things that holds BSD back. And if they were wanting to like improve their overall desktop experience and overall structure and get companies behind it, I do think that they would need to have something like that. Their their position and their licensing is great for the companies who don't want to contribute, but for the actual platform itself, I think it holds it back. We love hearing from our worldwide community. We have many ways for your voice to be heard. You can send us a short email or video that may get incorporated to the show. Send your video links or emails to comments at destinationlinux.org. 
We'd like to welcome Johannes to the show. Johannes is the developer of the open source app, Super Productivity. Now, after we had Michael gushing about this tool, uh, Ryan and I started using it. We all fell in love with it. Eventually, yep. the entire Destination Linux community fell in love with this app. And so we invited the developer on to uh, to come talk with us about what inspired this tool and what the future roadmap of this really great tool looks like. So, Johannes, welcome into the program. Yeah, hi. Thank, uh, thank you very much for having me. So for listeners who may not be aware of Super Productivity, uh, can you tell me how the project got started and what it is? Yeah, um, I think I first uh, started to work on the app uh, when I was working on a project where I was required to do uh, some time tracking and was uh, yeah not a big task, like maybe 15 minutes every day, but um, uh, trying to be a good programmer, I got annoyed by it very quickly and I thought, yeah, maybe there's some way to, to automate this or to make this at least a little bit more enjoyable. So I sat down after work, I yeah, tried to develop a tool to make this a little bit easier. And uh, yeah, and time after time, like uh, there were more ideas and other things like which were a little bit annoying. And, and so this grew and grew and yeah and now we are where we are <laughs> so when you so it, this started basically as a tool to solve a problem that you were dealing with then something that yeah, exactly. you a tool that you needed exactly. for yourself yeah so it's exactly. so, your, so your motivation is basically like the just trying to scratch an itch that you you just you had and get to be able to provide us the solution that you wanted anyway and that's to me that's what when i found this it was like you had thought of everything I wanted and things that I didn't. So that was fantastic. So uh, you scratched my itch as well. So I appreciate that. It's cool. Yeah. It always amazes me uh, that, that it's useful to other people as well, because as you say, like it's, uh, it's very tailored around my own needs. I try a lot of stuff and sometimes I <laughs> remember last week you were making fun about the stool timer and um, stool but, timer. Yeah, that's <laughs> but that's what it's about, like to, to try a little bit of stuff and maybe sometimes you go a little bit overboard, like overdoing it. I thought it was fantastic um, when but, I found that like they, it was, it was funny, but it was also at the same time as like, I, yes, I do want that. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, why not? Why not? And yeah, and that's uh, like uh, when you're working in computer science, like usually you're you, you, uh, working with all those agile methods. But for, for your personal workflows, um, I, um, at least me for myself, like I, I wasn't experimenting very much. But uh, like since since I, I got the tool, like I, yeah, I try, I'm trying out different things and it really, really gives me uh, more joy to work. General, like even if the task sucks, at least I can uh, I can view it as a testing ground for for my tool. So <laughs> that works out pretty well for me. So, so this is a productivity app for those who may not have heard of it before. How did you go about deciding? Because there are a million methods to productivity out there. Obviously, I have used I don't know half a dozen tools that were supposed to help productivity. I used them for I don't know an hour. I'm, it doesn't fit some need and I move on to something else. But this tool had me captivated, which is rare because I'm a shoot from the hip kind of person. I don't like organizing and scheduling. I just that is an do understatement. what. Yeah. So that that's my personality. So typically these apps do not appeal to me, but this one has. It has stuck with me for the last few weeks that I've been using it. Is, was there any science behind it or are you just trying to solve a problem for, for yourself in this? Meaning, were you are you looking at any yeah. of the models of productivity or anything when you're building this? 
I, I think I read some articles about it. Like uh, there's nothing, nothing particular would come to my mind. This one source of, uh, yeah, let's say inspiration, like for for some of the features, but also like recently, uh, which was uh, really interesting. There was a guy like who, who is a doctor in uh, experimental psychology and computer science, and he's a really nice person. And uh, for <laughs> some reason, he stumbled upon the two, and he gave gave me some really really good insight. And also that oh, yeah, there are some good ideas in that. And, wow. and so, yeah, I take yeah, that's from, awesome. from, from yeah, different sources and I just try stuff out. And what I think uh, really works for the development process is uh, I, I use it myself. And so I very quickly see, like, at least I don't know about other people, but <laughs> I know for myself, oh, this works well or this, well, this was a stupid idea. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And just a quick follow up to that. Have you built any other applications like this before? Not like this. Like uh, actually, the or the thing which gives me really joy about the project is that that I use it myself. Like usually for for my day to day jobs, I I don't know. I do a stupid shopping website or I don't know some some other. They're thing not which stupid. I, we love actually, them. I've, I don't know what they are. <laughs> yeah, we we love shopping websites. I, I, I never used yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I never used a single product I've I've built so far in my career. I, I never use it myself, and so this is a nice for a change to have something which is yeah useful nice. to myself. Nice. Yeah. It's amazing. Let me ask you this. Why open source? You have the opportunity to make a really great productivity app. And this this makes uh, the proprietary competition or the service-based competition look like Fisher-Price child's play. I mean, it. there are so many features that are so well done in this, this app. Why not license it with a proprietary license, form a company around it, sell a subscription-only service for eight bucks a month or whatever? And um, why release it to the community like this? Yeah, first of all, I'm, I'm a really bad uh, salesperson, so and I, I don't get <laughs> any joy out of it whatsoever. So I never really asked myself, or it was never really in question that that it would be open source. And also, I'm a very, very big fan of of in general the idea of of open source. And uh, I think, uh, yeah, particular in particular in, in computer science or um, in software development, it's so stupid that people are developing the same thing on and on and again and that they're keeping all this knowledge to themselves so um yeah it was for me was a really really great opportunity and also like uh, um which i wasn't thinking about before but like now after three years of this app existing um i've had so many amazing experiences with other people who supported some input i, I was talking about uh, eric's experimental psychology guy but there, recently i've been talking to a very talented designer who gave some some amazing feedback there was a young programmer from egypt which developed the uh, gitlab integration and it's so nice like to yeah with just other people working on this uh, and nobody uh, gets any money for it but uh, everybody i think enjoys it in a way and people That's come and leave again but it's just a nice way to work on something just for the enjoyment yeah that's awesome i mean there's when i first found it i was actually i've been looking for productivity apps for a very long time when i got to yours and i was like okay super productivity that is a strong claim let's see what happens like okay that is an accurate description fantastic it was it was like almost instantly i was like a huge fan of it and it was open source was one of the main things that i 
uh, decided to use uh, use it for. So that was like the big big play for my my uh, interest in trying it out. So the the idea that you were doing as open source is just fantastic. And I'm curious, what is the advantages you see for open source? And also, are there any struggles in doing an open source project like this? And the advantages you're surprised um, about, yeah, that people get on board randomly uh, with with really great ideas. I, I think this is not possible in the same way with closed source development. Uh, Absolutely, because it doesn't invite uh, this kind of participation. Right. And about the disadvantages, um, I, I really, I really, I thought about it before the interview, but uh, I really can't say there. There is there is one. Um, I can still, if I, if I decide to, I can still uh, ask money for it. Um, of course, like people can compile it themselves, and, and this will always be like that. But I could put it, let's say, in the Apple Apple Store or something like that. It's always always an option. Yeah. Um, so there's really no disadvantage. That's fantastic because that's what I wanted to hear, and it was just so. That's that's the best <laughs> the best answer for that. Yeah. So one of the features that I, I have heard people wanting is the ability to connect this tool or sync to databases that are more FOSS-based, like outside of Google Drive and Dropbox. Yeah. Are there any plans to add other sync sources there? Yeah, there there are. Yeah, yeah I've, I've been <laughs> closely listening to what you've been saying last week. And um, it should be technically, it should be possible uh, already. Like to just, it's uh, the configuration files are saved on the file system inside the the config folder. But I, yeah, I want to make it more accessible. Uh, love that. It's, yeah, that's <laughs> top on the list. I would say. So. I love it. <laughs> so no, thank I'd you so much. Make, I just want to make sure I understand what you're saying. So essentially, the um, the the super productivity. Uh, is it like an XML file that just lives on the, on the disk somewhere? So you, in theory, could just, you know, like, let's say you use C file, you could just drag the folder that the super productivity stuff is in, into C file, and then, and then sync it to, to each machine that, in theory, should work? Uh, I'm not 100% sure if this will work, but I know it's it's an Electron-based application. <laughs> I, I hope uh, that won't scare away too many users, but that's not us. Is. And so uh, I'm not 100% sure if you can sync the complete folder, but definitely mm. there is a database file. Uh, it's level DB. I think that's what what Chrome uses in the background uh, for for yeah saving index DB. And and if you sync this, I I, I don't see a reason why this shouldn't work. Um, gotcha. Okay. Very. I cool. might be wrong, but I, I would be surprised if this won't work. Johannes, what are some of the what are some of the next features that you're working on for the tool? What can what what can people look forward to? What's coming next? Yeah, currently I'm I'm working on uh, several bug fixes. Also, I want to uh, increase stability of the application. And uh, connected to that is like making uh, things like WebDFO syncing uh, and yeah, using other methods uh, easier, uh, which I think I will uh, switch to a flat file storage because like this is the easiest way. Also, if you like, for example, use it use it on a pen drive or something like this, and this is a big change which will be coming. And there's some other minor design improvements. Recently, <laughs> I'm not sure if it was a good idea, but I added some sounds to the application and you can turn them off if you don't like them. Um, <laughs> it's like I, I, I had the idea uh, that if you to do a similar thing that which Super Mario does, which is playing a higher pitch every si- every time you collect a coin. And I thought, oh, maybe that's nice. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. That's pretty <laughs> brilliant. Motivation, yes. I love that. <laughs> this yeah. is so great. 
I don't know if it works well, but I, it yeah, does. I just give it a shot. And, and I also uh, really like the fact that the, the sound effects you have for the like the task of your break is almost up. So like, you know, it's like tings you like and it pops up and it like, brings attention. It's like this, that's that's helped me so many times. Yeah. So maybe if people enjoy that, I will improve on that as well. Mm -hmm. And also one thing which uh, which I really want to improve is the notes feature. It really doesn't work well at the moment, I think. Uh, yeah. I, and this, I, I want to make better at some point. Like, hopefully, you, you don't mind a feature request <laughs> in the show, uh, but I do. No, have, it's great. Uh, it's one, really great. one of the things that I I found that would be like, the, other than the syncing, of course, but there's this one thing that uh, with the projects, once the project is done, it doesn't seem like there's a way to archive the project into like the work log. If that was possible, yeah, yeah. that would be like just fantastic. Like that would change the workflow even more. Like, yeah, the, yeah. I think there's already an open issue for that. I, I will keep it in mind. Awesome. Yeah, tell <laughs> them twelve ninety nine. Just tell them twelve ninety nine for that feature. Ha happily, <laughs> happily. <laughs> but but I can't stress it enough. Like it's for me. It's uh, as, as the app doesn't collect any data. It's super helpful um, to hear like how how people use the app. What 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 is helpful to them? Because like I obviously I I, I can't know <laughs> because I don't have any access to their data. But uh, so it's always even even if I don't maybe like the idea so much it's it's really good to hear how, uh, it's also how people work with the application so um everybody who who has something which they think oh this could be better please uh yeah open up an issue on github or uh, write me an email that's always appreciated and very helpful i think that's a really important thing to kind of highlight here is that because you're not collecting data i mean what's the excuse every company uses in their terms and conditions of why they're collecting your data and then the therefore selling it to marketing services. companies. Right, the better our services. But when we're dealing with open source, what you're talking about here is because you don't have that, even if you were just using it for good purposes, you need people to take the time to reach out and say, hey, I've had this issue or I've had this experience or I'd like to see this feature. And that doesn't mean you can incorporate them all. But that is your only real feedback model other yeah. than the people you talk to for getting this information. And so I just think it's a critical point for the open source community listening to this to make sure when you have those things come up to number one, make sure it's not mean when you're writing it, like this is the dumbest application ever because it doesn't have X, but to give good quality feedback to say, here are the things that I think would improve the application or here are some issues that I ran into because that's the only way the developers are going to know there's a problem. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic point. And there's also like the way that you're contributing to this project, uh, what would you say is the best way to do it other than doing issues and suggestions or feature requests, that sort of stuff? Is there anything else that you'd like to, you know, ask people to contribute with? Oh, there are tons of opportunities, um, like maybe even even ways I haven't thought about it, like... Um the basic, the most basic thing you can do is like say like how how you work with the app and what you don't like. This is pretty helpful already. What I really I uh, would uh, also appreciate is um, people like contributing code, which is uh, yeah, there's <laughs> a lot to do, and so uh, that would be great. Um, but also like um, feedback on the design because like I'm I'm personally I'm not a designer. I I just yeah <laughs> um, think it looks pretty but uh, like uh, you you if, if you have somebody who, who does it every day and who has to think about these things they just yeah see yeah. things i would like to point out that as a designer it's a very nice looking app like that's one of the things that made me want to use it 
And then when it, I found that the dark mode was built into it so easily. Like, yes. Okay, this is just this is good. So then, uh, there are, I can give you some some suggestions about improvements, and I'll send those in and like issues and stuff like that. But yep. like overall, the 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 base level foundation you have for the design is already very very good. Although I do think it's funny that the first thing we mention when we say it's a great looking app because it is is it has dark mode. Yes. I mean that is well, such an important thing. It is. Right? It's, a, it's a deal breaker for me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 very good, and the light version is also very nice looking. It's just like some people have a, a headache creation when you have like really if you have really bright windows all the time. So having a dark mode is very important, especially for a productivity app and a task app like that. So when I saw that, it was like okay, fantastic. When I saw your video about like demoing what like different features it had, I was like okay. Please have a dark mode. So installed it, switched it, and like, okay, fantastic. Now let's use this. That that's why it's important for a lot of people. But I think that there's the design of it overall is fantastic. And I also love like the kind of playfulness of it. When you decide to end the day, it's that click finish day and it says, um, like, do you yeah. wanna do you wanna you know go back and you know continue working or do you wanna just close it out? And when you close it out, it says II shut down. And that's just fun. It's like II Captain, and you just kind of it goes away and then like a i don't know if it's a unicorn that jump that's that shows up it's like that's just fun like it's just a fun effect and, it, and i'm it, like that. it makes you it it gives you little things to look forward to as you're going through your work day yeah. because when you when you get when you check off that task and you can look down and see all of the stuff that you've done and the other thing is too the ability to add to to my today list right i when we organize tasks we always organize tasks based, based on entity or project or whatever but at the end of the day we're only one person we can only do so many things so even though there's all of these different entities all these different categories only a few tasks from each one are going to make it into any one given day and the ability to just click on them and go that's i'm working on that doing that doing that doing that okay now i know what i'm going to do it's just i don't have enough good things to say about your app you've knocked it out of the park yeah. um do, have you thought about web hosting it at all or making it uh, able for people to, to web host it or, you know, maybe as like a plugin for something like Nextcloud so people could run uh, super productivity inside of their Nextcloud instance? Yeah, that's an interesting suggestion. Uh, I have thought about it before. Uh, what What is possible already is like you could put it on your own web server because how it works at the moment is that all data is saved on the client. So uh, mm -hmm. if you go on the, there's also a web version of it already. Oh, there is? There, oh, okay. There, there is already a web version. But what's not included is, uh, or what's not working at the moment, that's probably also a good idea to add in the future, is that uh, you are saving data to the web server. And so mm -hmm. this, okay. this is a part maybe you have to think about that. It really would be cool to have that as well. But at the moment, you can host it yourself, and and uh, but it works like uh, all data is in the user's browser. So that honestly, that or something. yeah, that changes it right there for me. I didn't realize that it could be self-hosted. Uh, I thought it was just a, I thought it was a local uh, a local client thing. Yeah, I think it's very cool that you can have like both. I mean, I do also like mm -hmm. the local data anyway. The the having the ability to do that and also having it where maybe it could do the like uh, multi-user in the future if you do a web hosted version would be amazing. Um, th no pressure on that one. That's just, you know, something but see, that'd this be nice. Is why I think I think the monetization <laughs> eventually of the project will be important for additional features cuz I the the reason why I mention it is because I see so many projects that start out with this fire behind them and this project is there right it's just so mm -hmm. good but then as the years maybe sometimes months but years go on you know you're working a full-time job and then you've got all these people piling on their requests 
I think a way to become patron or support the project financially and other things is something that, you know, is, is good to be thinking about and considering how you get there so that the motivation remains to continue to build out all the features here. Because like you said, I don't want 60 new open source apps based off super productivity to release. I want one really good app in the open source community that we use and, and selection's great and everything, but I want that one kind of mainstream application like we have with say Blender or OBS where you know that's the core product. There may be others, but that that's the main one. So yeah, I, I hope you consider looking at ways because I think people would love to financially back a project like this because it helps you through your day. It actually helps you mm-hmm. get work done. It helps you be organized. It helps me save money by me not wasting my time um, you know, getting lost in YouTube algorithm versus working on something that I need to get done for the day. So, you know, it's an important application. Yeah, absolutely. And also just the biggest thing about this is I've tried, I don't know how many to do apps and tasks management systems and productivity systems and like dozens and dozens of stuff. None of them had made me go, wow, I have to use this. And super productivity was the first one where it actually made me excited to use it every day. So I set up to auto start. Told you he's gushing. Well, yeah, okay, that's true. You're right, but at the same time, it is wor- it is worth that, and I do appreciate you doing it because it was the first time I actually was excited to use a to do app, and I didn't even think that would be possible. And I, and I love all the like the quirky aspects of it too that makes it more fun to do and all these different pieces. So I would happily, gladly be, be a patron of that. So if you do consider that, absolutely, let me know. Yes, thank you very much for the advice. Yeah. It's- it's probably a very good point about the motivation that you're, uh, yeah, just now um, you get some money and now you also owe the people a little bit. Maybe that's, uh, that's a good there's thing. definitely that feeling. I remember when somebody, my crap code donated to my crap code and I was like, wow, I got to go fix my crap code out there because they actually give me some money <laughs> for this thing. So yeah, there's definitely something behind that for sure. Johannes, thank you so much for taking the time for joining us and making such an awesome tool uh, yes. for productivity. I mean, ever I think I speak on everybody in the open source community when I say thank you very much. It is a fantastic tool. You've done an outstanding job. Yes, thank you very, very much for having me here. It was really a pleasure. We look forward to seeing what you build next. Yeah, absolutely. I'm thinking, I'm, I've got all kinds of apps for him to build now. Yeah. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> no, no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> yeah, no pressure. A security advisory this week is brought to you by Bitwarden. So this this week we're doing our, a, a, a really it's like a PSA to stay vigilant with protecting senior family members that who or just anyone who's not a technologically savvy because it's a bro a growing billion dollar ca- scamming market that is targeting at elderly and people who are just not familiar with what the, the proper ways to do things online. So the scammers are getting very more sophisticated by the minute, and there is a growing interest in targeting elderly to take advantage of them. And the ways to you can keep your parents start uh, safe and your grandparents and stuff like that is to educate them on the ways that scammers are tricking people, uh, posing as companies they actually do business with, putting uh, spam call protection on their phones and devices, put them on like do not call list, that kind of thing. With their permission, work with them to lock down their credit from the three credit bureaus, staying in touch and close uh, with so you can. Uh, pick up a potential scams for them. So if they, they don't, if they may not be getting, you know, you can kind of help guide them through that process with their permission, work with the bank and to put with like withdrawal limits on their, their bank accounts and stuff like that. So just in case they do get scammed, they won't get scammed to like a massive degree. And also another one is to consider like, you know, getting a credit card instead of
instead of a debit card because there's some potential of a debit card backfiring in certain ways. Uh, there, but there's you can look into that just so you know. Uh, but also there's another great way of getting them help is also getting getting them with a great password manager. And that thing, what we suggest, is Bitwarden. So you can get a great uh, open source password manager that we use and trust called Bitwarden. You can go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. And Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync sensitive data. With My favorite thing about Bitwarden is that it's just so convenient to use. You have the ability to use it on your mobile devices, desktop, browser plugins, and even the command line if you want to do that. Uh, so you can, if you want to teach them into command line and also use that, the, there, there's an option for you. But uh, the, these, what's really great is that when you want to create a password, you want to store that password and you want to autofill that password so you don't have to do most of the work yourself. You, that's what Bitwarden allows you to do because they have the password generator, that they have a password vault, and they have the autofilling password. So Bitwarden is a fantastic piece of software and you definitely need to check it out. And of course, one of the reasons we love Bitwarden is because it is open source software. And in addition to the open source software, you can even self-hosted if you want to, and they even do security audits. You have to be very confident in your code to be a password management tool and open sourcing that code because you have a very, very highly targeted set of data. And if you're confident enough to put open source, that means a lot. But in addition to that, they also are put are hiring security firms to audit their code to make sure it is as good as they are and that they're accurate in being that confident, which is just fantastic to see. So if you want to get your account, you can go to bitwarden.com slash DLN and get started for free, or you can get their premium account, which is actually a very reasonable price of $10 per year. That's right, per year. And you get one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, and more. Vault Health Reports, uh, TOTP, that's Temporary One-Time Password, Authenticator Storage and Generation, Priority Customer Support, and more. So make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. But if you're like me, though, you want to show your support, your appreciation and your support by signing up for their premium edition, especially since that premium edition only starts at $10 per year. So thanks, Bitwarden, for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux and the Destination Linux Network. So in the news this week... XFCE has 4.16, which is set to impress. This is a pre-release right now, but there's a lot of things going in here. Now, XFCE typically has a much longer development cycle than some of the desktop environments a lot of people are used to. But when a big drop of code happens, I love to cover it because XFCE has been, well, it, it, it's home for me in the Linux world because it was the first desktop environment that I fell in love with that worked immediately with my workflow. And I just have this, I'll always have this extreme love for XFC, no matter what other desktop environment I'm using. It's like Michael and fascination with KDE probably. So this release here, they have some additions that I'm particularly interested in, such as the support for fractional scaling. So better fall back oh, yeah. in case there's any misconfiguration, things like that. That's just a big deal right now. It's not only just a big deal. It's kind of a, you better have it if you're going to be a DE taken seriously uh, right now because everything is moving to higher DPI screens and it's just frankly a necessity. Dark mode for the panels. Come on. I know you guys are huge dark mode. I, it's a, that's, a, that's a deal breaker for me. Yeah. So now, now you can use it and have the dark mode on there. Go ahead, Noah. Well, I was just going to ask, you know, wh when did you start using XFCE? And 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 I guess 
you know, when you compare it to other desktops, why do you keep coming back to it? For me, XFCE is about having all the customization, which really is one of the key things when you think about a desktop environment between Windows or Mac OS and Linux. We have the customization. You can do what you want with the desktop. But it was easy enough for me as a brand new user that unlike in KDE when I was trying it when I was new and I would get lost, especially then, because this is four years ago, in the settings and where the settings were and everything else, uh, how to move panels. Do you remember, Michael, four years ago when you would open up a panel in KDE to adjust it? And I don't know. I, I just remember yeah. so many things of dialogue boxes pump, popping up in random places. And then if you deleted something on accident, there was no way to get it back. There were all of these little annoyances. Now, those don't exist necessarily today in KDE. I'm talking four years ago as a new user. XFCE, everything was simple. If I wanted to create a brand new panel, the menu there was right-click on my current panel, add another panel, boom, it's done. I want to change the size. It's right there in that same menu that I just added that new panel in. Everything is intuitive. You want to change the time clock from 24 to 12 hours, right-click on the time. It was those simple uh, ability to fully customize the XFCE desktop that makes it beautiful uh, to me because I didn't have to go hunting for special features or open up a web browser to figure out where that setting was. It was just intuitive. You want to edit and that's the clock, what I loved you just right-click the clock. You want to edit anything else, you just right-click the thing you want to edit. Literally right-click it, yeah. every Everything you want to edit pretty much is a right-click in XFCE. And I think that simple brilliance is what makes them so great. I also just love Sean Davis and that team and their general attitude. They were kind of one of the first ones that I had, you know, feedback for and were really listening and engaging with with me and my interest in Linux at the time. So that always helps as well. Um, but in, in this particular release, you also have Thunar that has some updates like copying and moving can be paused now, which I like. Support for queued file transfer and initial support to remember view settings per directory, which is pretty cool there. So there's just a lot of neat things that they're working on. They're still moving away from the GTK2 platform, correct, Michael, into GTK3? I don't think they've fully transitioned yet. They still, they transitioned a major, the vast majority of the stuff to GTK3, but there are still some underlying like codes that's GTK2. They're they're trying to, you know, completely remove the GTK2 dependency, which is very good in there and like, and it's necessary for that to be happening because GTK2 is deprecated and no longer worked on. And I do think that XFCE is one of those DEs that it has like a ton of potential. And I think the only reason that XFCE is in the position where they are, we're like kind of slow to release stuff is because there's just so few people working on it. Like I think there's like a total. They've literally three, said that. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So like if they had some more people working on it and there was people interested in, you know, participating in XFCE, I think there's a lot of potential for XFCE. And one of the things that I like about it is that they do take in consideration the idea of having uh, everything as, you know, all in one being just super simple to edit stuff. Just right click the thing you want to edit. And there you go. Uh, When you were talking about the KDE thing, I would still say that KDE is a little bit more too confusing in terms of like how you do everything by default is still today, even today still there. Yeah, still there. I mean, it's, it's gotten a lot better, but I think it's still in that position where it used to be way worse. What, what Ryan was talking about, it was very, very confusing. Now it's improved, but they also move things to random places that is not really obvious. And also right clicking on things is not typically how you edit stuff unless it's like a panel related thing. But in terms of like most of the stuff you want to change are in system settings. And when you go into system settings, it's kind of like a puzzle in itself. So 
the, the thing about uh, XFCE's uh, control center is it's a, it's also itself very simplistic in the approach. It's like you want to go to the appearance section. Okay, click that, and there's everything that relates to this. Whereas in X, in KDE's plasma structure, you go into system settings, you have appearance. Okay, well, also there's themes and look and feel themes and colors and a bunch of other stuff. Like that's in icons exactly. are separate and fonts yep. are separate. It's like it's just uh, so many things are kind of like you know scattered around that it makes it confusing. So I think the way that XFC is doing it is quite good. So there you go. Check out XFCE 4.16. It should be released coming in November. Unless you've been living under a rock, you've probably heard that NVIDIA has bought out Armor, at least proposed to buy it in the largest acquisition of a semiconductor company in history. So we had a discussion, Ryan, Michael, and I all got together on Ask Noah on Tuesday, and we got uh, we had a discussion on the merger concerns. Um, today, we're going to dig in a little bit more in depth on what this deal means. So the cliff notes are that NVIDIA has proposed to by ARM, of course, NVIDIA being a US-based company, ARM being a UK-based company who also was owned by an investment firm, and then they got sold to Japan. And you'll have to go back to Ask No and get and, and get caught up or go read one of the many articles that are out there. But it, the, the situation has continued to unfold since then, and we're going to cover what has changed. So I guess, Ryan, you have spent a tremendous amount of time digging into this and really understanding and following these things. You also understand this technology because you work with it on a day-to-day basis. Where do we start? Uh, what has happened since Tuesday? Well, I think the interesting occurrence for me has been seeing the different analyst takes and also companies that are involved with this or involved in some way uh, with this acquisition, either the fact that their company would be impacted in involved in it, or from a financial perspective, or from a government policy standpoint, some of the things that will occur. One particular instance was discussing an analyst that said the NVIDIA takeover could drive chip manufacturers to explore engagement with open source, other open source technology companies. So I started looking out there because a lot of people were leaving comments about risk five, risk five, risk five to find out, well, what's actually happening? Is RISC-V actually getting any additional hits? Well, there's a particular company out there that actually has gone public to talk about this called sci 5 And the CEO of sci 5 Patrick Little, came out and was saying that, in fact, ever since this announcement was made, that the amount of communication pouring into him, companies inquiring about his company and the technology be, you know, utilizing RISC-V has just grown tenfold. And when I started looking at the investment portfolios for the companies that are backing Sci-5, you're looking at Intel, Western Digital, Qualcomm, a lot of companies that are directly impacted by the acquisition that could take place here between NVIDIA and ARM. So this entire thing has fascinated me um, from that perspective because there's this kind of additional piece that has taken off this week as well with Samsung. So Samsung and AMD have been partnering with the Xenos mobile chips, incorporating AMD's RDNA graphics into them. This has already been in process. So now when I was kind of looking at all of this battlefield unfolding here, if you look at it from NVIDIA's perspective, they have this partnership taking place with the biggest flagship Android ARM-based device out there in which AMD's RDNA GPU technology could be incorporated in their latest phone. Some are rumoring that it will even be incorporated in the new Nintendo Switch 2. Don't know if that will happen, but that would mean the entire console market dominated by 
the AMD platform there and NVIDIA sitting there single-threaded as a company making GPUs and some AI and leveraging what they can do with their GPUs, but essentially single-threaded against all the other companies like AMD, Intel, Qualcomm's, and others. And so I really think from an NVIDIA standpoint, brilliant move, but I'm also really interested in seeing how this pushes some additional technology forward in the RISC-V form factor because what people were rumoring that could happen, you know, like maybe companies will go to risk five, at least based on the initial this this week that has passed, these companies behind these risk five architectures are starting to see that exact thing happen. So there's a lot of damage control potentially taking place or at least inquiries from all of these companies that rely on ARM today. I thought that was fascinating. Why is Intel looking to leverage themselves into these other technologies? It seems as though, even though there is more progression being made on the ARM side, all of the really high-end power stuff still run on x86 or some alternative architecture. It doesn't seem like ARM is quite there yet. Help, help me, as a person that doesn't have a lot of experience in, in, in this area, Ryan or Michael, why is it that uh, Intel is looking to leverage themselves and, and, and trying to find other architectures? like risk. Well, if you've been watching the news, Intel's kind of in, been in trouble, right? They've been stuck in this 14 nanometer fabrication process. And what they've done with it, by the way, uh, and I love Intel because of all the work they do in open source. So I hope all of this shifts for them in the future. But Intel hasn't been hurt financially yet, but from an R&D standpoint, from a keeping up with the market, they're behind. Everyone else moving to these fabrication processes that including Apple now that are seven and five nanometer based that nanometer piece by itself doesn't make a big deal the 14 versus the five where it makes a big deal is providing the amount of space on that processor to pack in more transistors to pack in more cores to do additional chips outside of just the the cores themselves onto that chip and allows you to do great things like ARM's big little architecture, for instance, the ability to have very powerful processors, also very power-friendly processors all on that same chip, and you're turning them on and off so that you can conserve battery and also give you that power boost when you need it. These are things that Intel basically, their 10 nanometer process that they had in place for what, six plus years they've been trying to get out, which was a huge, in fact, they're getting sued for it. Um, from some companies that basically have said that Intel has misled the market into believing that they were further along in these processes than they have, has forced Intel now to outsource to additional companies to try to get into this fabrication process so that they can compete in here. So for Intel, yeah, they, they have been in trouble. I don't want to say they're in trouble because they have massive amounts of money that they can leverage to get themselves out. But they're in trouble from a market standpoint because things are moving quicker than Intel is able to react. That's a very interesting perspective. I I, I knew about the like Intel's issue with outsourcing, which I always find interesting. But I also like the the idea, like the fact that Sci Five gave us information about like all the interest in Risk Five actually has me kind of excited because Risk Five is one of those architectures that is you know it's it's like the ideologically sound architecture. I hope that continues and Risk Five becomes a position where it can actually battle ARM, whether or not NVIDIA even buys ARM. That doesn't matter. I, I want Risk Five to get to that level. Risk Five is completely open source hardware. Yeah, so from if Risk Five can get boosted from this, and not that I don't wish NVIDIA an uh, ARM success in here, but if we can get another player in there, look, yeah. this always helps the market, no matter what. 
you don't want one company dominating. You don't want a monopoly at the top. So if you can have risk five get propped from this and enough big companies push risk five and you have this open source hardware architecture out there, this, this is the best thing possible. If that is the outcome, if, if that's the outcome that occurs from this, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. What does, are there any implications to the larger industry if there is too much competition in the hardware space? So for example, is it hard for developers if they, if, if we go from, I have to support Windows, Mac and Linux to, well, it all runs Linux, but I have to have an ARM port and a RISC-V port and an Intel port and a, does that matter at all? Or am I creating problems that don't exist? I mean, I, I think it matters to a degree. Do developers prefer to have one or two places that they're writing applications for? Absolutely. But if you remember, even in the phone market before Android and Apple by itself essentially dominated everything, there were developers developing for BlackBerry. There are developers developing for Pre, Palm Pre's. There were developers developing for Android and iOS. And, you know, those all of those individual phone entities were successful in their own right. Now, obviously, the monopolies kind of came in and, and took it all over, but I think the developers just want an audience, and I think they will be able to adapt. And the other thing is that the tools that developers are using today are making it much easier to export to different types of platforms when you're done with your program. And it's not perfect, but it's getting way better than it ever was before. I'm not a developer. This is just the information that developers I talk to tell me. So your ability to go on multiple platforms with the end of your result with these engines and things, is just much easier today than it's ever been. So I, I think we can overcome that issue uh, from the software side and not have to worry about there being too much competition in the hardware side. I think we need more competition in the hardware side. We've seen the damage that it does to the industry to have Intel dominating for 10 years and to have NVIDIA dominating the GPUs for as long as they have. What happens is you end up overpaying, you get iterative upgrades. There's there, The laws are out the door with you know the continuation of growth and innovation when you don't have that competition there. So more competition, the merrier, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. In especially in the hardware side. And also just a quick note, I would like to have uh, people put a F in the chats for respect of the loss of WebOS. I do miss WebOS, man. I really miss <laughs> I WebOS. <do. laughs> Yeah. What what are some of what are some of the implications as as we go forward with Nvidia being the player that they are now and with this company being uh, U.S. based? Is that concerning for software developers, Linux people that run services maybe outside the U.S.? Uh, there's a discussion to be had about what China is going to do. And some of these things we touched on, on, on Ask Noah, but I think a lot of them are, are, are even more relevant today than they were even a week ago because things have continued to evolve. I think there's a big, you know, there's a big concern out there about this, but I think the bigger concern is really does NVIDIA continue ARM's current model or do they just take this as a way to take the Mali GPUs, for instance, and just incorporate themselves in the design, because ARM doesn't actually sell any products, they just sell the licenses, incorporate themselves within all of the design and force everybody to use that with proprietary instruction sets that NVIDIA is kind of known for. They do do open source stuff, so I don't want to say they don't, but they have a lot more closed source proprietary software offerings out there and basically kind of break the model that made AMD so popular in the first place. I think, you know, they obviously need to get return on their $40 billion investment and one of the easiest ways to do that is to leverage their NVIDIA product within for the AI sure. elements and everything else on the server front. It's just how they go about that. Do they end up hurting the competition in the process 
or do they actually continue to keep it open and work, be a good patron of the community, if you will? I think most people believe NVIDIA is, at least for the first little while, going to stick with the current architecture so they don't scare people off. But what happens after that, uh, that, that can be scary. But certainly taking all the big tech companies and focusing them all in one country can have big impacts as well because you know we do get in trade wars and things at times and that can affect mm-hmm. other companies' ability to innovate and release products. And then that translates to an inability for us to purchase products or have comp- companies fighting with each other, not fighting, but competing with each other to deliver a better product at a lower price to us. Yeah, absolutely. So that's why this is big news. If you're one of those people who's heard it on the Ask Noah show, you heard it, we have it talking about on Hardware Addicts, you hear it on Destination Linux, and you're wondering, why is everybody talking about this? It's because of the implications this can have are far-reaching past just NVIDIA buying a regular company. This particular company they're buying happens to power so many of the devices that we use today. I guarantee you, every single person, if you have electronics in your home at all, have some ARM-based devices in your home. Mm -hmm. This week in our gaming section, we are going to talk about a name. Michael, help me please. Carry on? Carry on? Carry on? Carry on? Something? Carry on? Carry on? I don't know. Here we go. Let's go with that. It's close enough. If I got it wrong, it's Michael's fault. So this is a game with native Linux support. It's a game that's great leading up to Halloween because it has this horror element to it. It's made by Phobia Game Studio, and it is a reverse horror game in which you assume the role of a amorphous creature of unknown origins stalking and consuming those that imprisoned you to begin with. So you get to slop around the map like a meatball with tentacles and destroy all of these people around and eat them and destroy their buildings and everything else that have you know imprisoned you here i mean you get a red tentacled monster that you get to upgrade throughout and destroy barricades and everything around you and eat people it's perfect for halloween go check it out plus the most important part native linux support so you don't need any translation layers or anything else in there you could just download this game and start playing it And the last thing I want to talk about is making sure that you are playing Xenotic with the Destination Linux community. So what has happened since this server has gone up, thanks to DigitalOcean, is able to get the server up really easy and quick, is that, for instance, when Michael and I joined the Ask Noah show this week, we, right after the show, what did we all do? We jumped onto the Xenotic server and we just had a battle royale right there. So if you're not looking out and playing on this server then you're missing out on those opportunities to game with us and the community out there. We really want to revitalize this game. This is such a brilliant open source game out there that's available in your distro's repository. And you could just likely and just go download it and start playing and have a blast. We have a destination Linux server to start typing destination Linux in the filter under multiplayer and it will pop up. And if you're alone and nobody's on it right then, you still get to fight Michael AI bots, which by the way, this is a huge announcement, breaking news here. Michael AI bots are based on the AI that I wrote in Python that downloaded Michael's entire brain into a program. I mean, NASA and everybody is studying this code I wrote. And that is what is powering these Michael AI bots. Yeah, so it's very impressive. That They're alone, very you good should go check it out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Man, yep. if only you could write something like super productivity. No, I'm not that good. <laughs> 
This week, we continue our exploration of the Linux file system. If you've probably sat down at a Windows computer or a Mac, you've probably clicked through the file hard drive and, and figured out what the file structure is of those two systems. People sit down on a Linux system, and it seems like it's a little bit different. Where's my computer? Where's drive C? How do, how do the directory structures match up? Well, over the past few weeks, we've been covering what these directories are. We've gone through temp, bin, boot, dev, etsy, lib, media, and op. This week, we're going to cover slash proc slash proc is a virtual directory containing information about your cpu and the kernel of your linux system that is running now again everything in linux is a file and that is advantageous because it allows us to address things and use things in the in, in the same way so if you wanted to see um let's see what's your configuration for ssh is you might type the word cat for uh, to 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 spit out the text cat space and then slash etsy slash you know uh myconfig.cfg and it would spit out the config file. Well, if you wanted to learn about your processor or see uh, what was what was going on, you might you might cat uh, proc slash CPU info and that will tell you things like how many threads your processor has, if virtualization is enabled, what generation processor it is, what make and model it is, all those kinds of things. Um, you'll see all the processor flags that are on there. And so again, like some of the other ones, proc is one of the ones that we recommend that you go and take a look at. I wouldn't necessarily recommend that you change anything, but going through and seeing what's in that directory and seeing what you can learn about your system uh, from gripping information in there is, is something I would invite you to do. As an example, lsmod is the same as cat proc slash modules. And so if you, some of these commands uh, that you may be used to running are going to take information out of the slash proc folder and, and present that to you in a slightly different way. Um, but it's important that you know where these resources are and how they work. The software spotlight this week is Picard, or Music Brains Picard to be specific. It's not based on the TV show or, you know, the character from Star Trek Next Generation. Uh, Who is called Bullethead, not Picard. It, okay, so sure, why not? Uh, we've reached, we reached out onto Mastodon for software applications you feel deserve a shout-out in our spotlight, and Morrow replied with Music Brains Picard. First, you always get our attention with a name, af name something after Star Trek, so of course we we're definitely going to check that out. And Naturally. second, yeah, second, this is a great open source application for music library tagging. So some of the features that this application has is uh, Picard supports uh, all popular music formats, including MP3s, FLAX, OGA or OGG, M4A, M WMA, WAV, and just a bunch more. Picard uh, uses uh, Acoust ID for audio fingerprints, allowing files to be identified by the actual music, not just the tags, even if they have no metadata. And Picard can look uh, in, up entire music CDs with a click and a bunch of other plugins as well for like a suite of available feature add-ins and that kind of stuff. So if you're looking for any kind of way to tag your MP3s or your music collection, check out Music Brains Picard because it is a great application for that. So a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. However you do it, we love you for it. And if you want more DL, you should consider becoming a patron like all of these beautiful people here with us today. Patrons get a bunch of perks like access to the live recording of the show where they get to hang out and correct all of our mistakes. And they get to learn all of the information that happens and all of the side conversations that take place in between some of these articles that we're talking about. And if you can't make it when we're recording live, that's okay because patrons get unedited versions of the show. So you get to hear all of that awesome information. And most importantly, Troll Michael and Ted live. 
I mean, Ted, sure, but not not Michael. For sure. not, not, that's not how that works. But what you can do also is check out the Destination Linux store by going to dlnstore.com, and there you can get a bunch of swag and merch from T-shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, and much more. And we're actually be adding a lot more to this to the store soon. So go check it out, dlnstore.com. You might think it's time for the show to be over, but you'd be wrong. It's actually time for you to come over and join the DLN community. And if you don't join now for the next 10 minutes only, it's free. You can join up. There's no charge, nothing. You can join the (laughs) shindig. All the resources are open to everyone. Best thing about it, after that 10 minutes expires, another 10 minutes free is going to roll right after it. So if you want to get in on this action, we invite you to go over to destinationlinux.network, join the forums, join the Telegram group, join the Discord server, get connected with the community, help us help you learn to love Linux more. And if you want more interactive chat, then you go over to the Telegram group and we'll direct you into Zenotics so we can 1v1. Or the Matrix group, you know? Or the Matrix group. That's right. That's true too. And also, if you want to uh, to check out some more content, there's a lot of awesome content on the Destination Linux Network. So go to destinationlinux.network where you'll find all sorts of open source goodness from podcasts, YouTube channels, and so much more. Everybody have a great, week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. Everybody, turn, you can turn your cameras <laughs> on and, and uh, mics on. and Because uh, we need to play some Zonotic. <laughs> I'm thinking, I don't know. I mean, I think we got 10 minutes. Zonotic. Hey, I got my butt handed to me in Zonotic the other day. Somebody wanted to play and I couldn't say no. Naturally. Come on, one more. I was trying to get into the thing. Yeah. You shot me on the door. <laughs> Oh my god, I was trying to run and you shot me on the top of the door. It's kind of amazing.